0: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this, I ain't no spy Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter, that's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor-Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a Minute Without Parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Welcome to Brain Stuff from How Stuff Works. Hey Brain Stuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. If you can think of a terrifying monster from popular culture, I can show you a version of that monster designed to be cute. From Freddy Krueger and Godzilla to Cthulhu and Pennywise the Dancing Clown, we seem determined to transform our monsters into plushies, cartoon characters, and other cuties. But why? Let's take a second to discuss what monsters and cuties actually are. You can go down the rabbit hole on the cognitive origin of monsters, but essentially, a monster is an unreal creature that's awesome in size or novel in its chimerical combination of natural forms. It threatens and terrifies us, even as it relates some lesson or understanding of the world around us. For instance, a werewolf combines human and lupine characteristics, but also relays a message about the dual nature of human beings. We are both beast and something that aspires to be more. Acuteness is easier to nail down if only because it's so rooted in conditioned responses to human infants. The features that we call cute in uh, babies—big eyes, fat cheeks—are simply the ones that hijack human attention and response. After all, the infant is the fruit of our genetic programming. We can't help but attend to its needs. This view of cuteness falls in line with Charles Darwin's theory that natural selection favors creatures that, in infancy, possess features that cause adults to protect them Austrian ethologist Conrad Lorenz went on to outline the specific triggers involved, including short, thick extremities and clumsy movements, in addition to the big eyes and chubby cheeks. To what degree does cuteness hijack our senses, though? Scientists have observed one-seventh-of-a-second response time in adults to unfamiliar infant faces, but not to adult faces. A 2012 Japanese study found that people who viewed images of infant animals performed tasks better than those who viewed images of adult animals. In other words, cute stimuli improve performance in tasks that require behavioral carefulness. We're simply hardwired to become careful guardians when cuties call to us, and that bleeds over into inhuman cuties as well, kittens, puppies, and cartoon characters. Maybe those cute kitten posters in the office actually serve a purpose after all. At this point, it's easy to think of cuteness and monstrosity as separate entities, but the two states may exist upon the same spectrum of attention-grabbing stimuli. Imagine a slider mechanism in a program or a video game. One direction takes you into the realm of disgusting terror, and the other is a one-way ticket to cute town. Social scientist Maya Jojovska-Brivczynska wrote a paper on this subject, Monstrous Cute, Notes on the Ambivalent Nature of Cuteness. In it, she argues that the cute and the monstrous exist in a single dimension, and that there is a tipping point as to how far you can push that cute-slash-monstrous slider. She writes that this spectrum, quote, works inevitably as a sort of pendulum swinging to and fro, and thus being able to play its role only up to a certain point, where the sweetness becomes a mock and a pitiful or ironic alter-ego of itself. In other words, it's possible to push cuteness so far that it becomes sickening. If we're to push too far in the other direction, arguably, the monstrous simply becomes ridiculous. Of course, in either case, individual thresholds to cute-slash-monster overload will vary. Monsters and cuties may stand at opposing exaggerations on the same slider of visual stimuli, but why would we move that slider to begin with? In making our monsters cute, we diminish the underlying natural or cultural horrors that they entail. In making the cute monstrous, we also dilute its brain-hijacking potency. This might also entail what psychologist Oriana Aragon calls a dimorphous expression, in which an overly positive emotion produces a negative reaction. If you've ever felt the desire to pinch an overly cute infant or kitten, then you've felt this phenomenon firsthand When cute gets tough to handle, a dash of horror balances it out. It would seem we create monsters for a variety of reasons—to entertain, to warn, or to chastise and thrill. We turn them cute to dull their power or repurpose them for commercial gain. But the slider can't always run back in the opposite direction. We can only rob our monsters of their powers for so long. Today's episode was written by Robert Lamb and produced by Tyler Klang. To hear more about the monstrosity-slash-cuteness spectrum, look for the episode of that title on Robert's podcast, Stuff to Blow Your Mind. And, of course, for more on this and lots of other topics so sweet you could eat them up, visit our home planet, howstuffworks.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast